We have uh, been in a conversation the last couple of weeks looking at the question of who Jesus is, what what the New Testament teaches us about the, the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is that most of the time in here, what we do is we talk about what Jesus is teaching us, how we can be disciples, how we can ultimately be more like him. But uh, one of the things we do every so often is to look at the, the question, wait, wait a minute, remind me who it is we're trying to be like, who it is we're listening to as he teaches us. And so we've been, we've been talking for the last several weeks about uh, who Jesus is. And our guide for this conversation is an ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. It's a pretty short document, but um, there's a lot in it as we've been seeing. So uh, we've been looking specifically at the middle section, which talks specifically about God the Son. The first part talks about God the Father. The third part talks about God the Holy Spirit, but we've been looking at the middle part where it talks about Jesus. And if you've been tracking with us so far, you might expect that the uh, the next thing we're going to cover is on the third day he rose again from the dead, but we're not. Uh, Easter is coming. It's just a couple of weeks from Easter, and so um, uh, in case you weren't planning to be here on Easter, uh, this is a tease so that you can find out more about that on Easter. Maybe you've heard about it, um, but uh, but we're going to skip right past that. We're going to look at the next section. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So that's that's what we're going to look at today. What is what is the ascension? And we've been talking, one of the things we've been, we've been learning as we go through this, we've been learning that there are mysteries in the faith, that there are things we understand and there's things we don't understand. There's ultimately some things where we just say, I have to take that in faith. What does it mean for God to become human, right? I, I have some idea what it is to be human, but since I've never been a God, I don't know that first part, right? And there's, there's only so much the New Testament can tell us because how would it explain something that is ultimately beyond our, our fathoming? What's it like to be a God who has become incarnate. We don't know. So, so there are mysteries of the faith. But the, the, the teaching we're going to look at today is not nearly as mysterious as, as some things. It may be unbelievable. There's plenty of people who say, look, I don't, you know, buy people flying up in the sky or they bring up questions like, well, you know, uh, where is heaven? You know, you know, uh, the Russian astronaut Yuri Gagarin back in the 1960s, he said as he orbited the earth, he said, I didn't see any angels up there. So there's, there's questions that, that we have today from a natural standpoint, naturalist standpoint, which is, okay, where did he go and so forth? So we don't know. And the, the New Testament doesn't tell us, but, but, so, so there are things we may find unbelievable, but there, but it's not as mysterious as things like the, the, the incarnation or the resurrection. So um, it is it is mysterious, and yet at the same, it is not as mysterious, I don't think. Um, but it is nevertheless, I think, a misunderstood or even disbelieved. Um, disbelieved because because we, we live in a materialist world and we have trouble believing in things that we haven't seen or have a clear understanding for. But misunderstood, I think, is something that that every every Christian and and uh, non Christian. Can, can experience. We just don't understand this passage. And I say that because I was one of them. So maybe you're saying, well, you're, you're the only one. Um, maybe you're just particularly dense, Luke. But I had been a Christian for 10 years. I came to faith as an adult in my 1930s, in the 30s, not the 1930s. Um, so uh, it's been a while, but it hasn't been that long. Um, but uh, I, came, I came to faith as an adult, and um, I never understood the idea of the ascension um, until I was in seminary. I was actually in seminary studying to become a, a pastor. I was in my second year of seminary before it dawned on me. I was in a theology class, and the the person leading the class said that Jesus is still a human being. And it was like, mind blown. 
That that concept just eluded me. I didn't have the idea that Jesus uh, did not simply uh, become a human for the purpose of saving us and then go back to whatever it means to be the Son of God. I, I, I just assumed that, that when he left, that's what he did. But what our faith teaches us, what the Apostles' Creed reminds us of, is that Jesus is now and for all eternity will be one of us. That Jesus is in heaven, and I don't know where that is, and I, I believe the astronaut who didn't see him, but wherever heaven is, Jesus is there at the right hand of God. Now, does God have a right hand? That's the one I will believe is actually a metaphor. That you know, We talk about somebody being your right-hand man. So Jesus is God's right-hand man. Whatever that means in terms of God having hands, I, I don't know. But, but that's the idea, that Jesus is sitting in heaven at the right hand of God. He is God's right-hand man. So that is the um, the teaching, and uh, we see it throughout the, the New Testament. It's it's either explicitly stated or, or hinted at in all of the four biographies of Jesus. It's in the letters of Peter and Paul and John. It's in the letter to the Hebrews. It's in the book of Revelation. It's all through the New Testament, this idea that Jesus has ascended into glory and there he sits now at the right hand of God. So it's it's a doctrine uh, that is all through the New Testament, but it is most clear in the reading we heard from the book of Acts. So we read that while they, the disciples, were eating together with Jesus. So Jesus has been raised from the grave, and he spent about uh, four, 40 days um, uh, uh, appearing off and on to, to different groups of disciples. At one point, Paul tells us, there was a group of 500 disciples who encountered Jesus. So Jesus has been been um, walking the earth as a, as a resurrected uh, person for something like 40 days. We, uh, this we don't know exactly, but he says, he says while they were eating together, um, he, Jesus, ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait in the city until uh, uh, what the Father had promised um, appears. He said, this is what you heard from me. So I'm reminding you of things I taught you back before. So this is not new news for you. He says, this is what you heard from me. John baptized you with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, something's coming. And as a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They said, "They said, okay, I got it all wrong about you being an earthly Messiah, right? You were crucified, and I certainly wasn't expecting that. But now... Are you ready to take over? You know, you're gonna, you know, kick the Romans out of, out of Israel. You're going to establish that kingdom that we've been waiting for. Um, you know, and the one that, you know, I'm embarrassed to ask this now, but the one where we asked to be top, top of officials in your administration, right? Are you going to establish that kingdom now? And Jesus tells them, he says, it isn't for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power. Uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, he says, you don't need to know the time in order to do the work that I'm going to assign you. The, uh, the work I'm going to assign you, what you're going to have instead of information, you're, you're asking for insider information, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you power. And in a couple of days, you will be clothed from on high with power. And then you will be able to go do the work I've assigned you, which is to be my witnesses. First, right here in the city of Jerusalem, and then in the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and ultimately all the way to the far ends of the earth. So that's what Jesus tells them. And then after he said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him from their sight. And while he was going away and they were staring into heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. 
And they said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking up toward heaven? Now, uh, one of the things I read this week said, said, well, if you think back to the last time there was Jesus in a cloud in the same sentence, it was the transfiguration. And it says very clearly there that, that when the cloud uh, went away, only Jesus was left. They had been watching Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah, and maybe they were thinking, okay, I, I want to see what happens now. But in any event, these two, these two people, the men in robes, um, Luke doesn't call them angels, but that's probably what he's getting at. These two men say, why are you looking up into heaven? Um, I, I, I confess, anytime I see somebody fly off into the sky, I watch. Okay, because it would be fascinating. So I think it's a dumb question, but you know, they're angels. So, but what they say next is important. They say, this Jesus, the man you've been walking around and you know, he's still got scars on his hands. That Jesus, the Jesus that you saw go up into heaven, this Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So it's not some other Jesus. It's not some new improved Jesus. It's not some spiritual Jesus that, that you've never encountered before. He says, this same Jesus, he went away and he will come back. So that's, that's what the idea of the ascension is. So, so, um, like I said, it's not that mysterious. I mean, we've got questions. What happened? But, you know, where did he go and things like that? But, but it's not that hard to understand what, what is being stated in this teaching, the idea of the ascension. But, but we still are left with, well, why is this important? You know, why did they spend those words in the Apostles' Creed to remind everybody of this? I mean, besides the fact that sometimes people are particularly dense and don't realize that the words mean what the words say. Sometimes there's people like me who just don't get it. So the Apostles' Creed maybe is reminding me, hey, pay attention here. But but is there a purpose beyond that? Is there something important in this? And, and the answer, of course, is yes. There's several implications to this teaching, the idea that Jesus has gone up into heaven. And the first one, as I mentioned to the children, is that Jesus opens the way to us. Jesus reconnects us to God. That that um, essentially Jesus took the the um, the the cable up to heaven um, and and reconnected us back to God. So um, uh, he he removed the barrier between us and God uh, by dying on the cross. But he he um, reconnected us to God fully in his ascension. Um, except it wasn't a cable. Jesus didn't take a cable up to heaven. He took a human body up to heaven. And because uh, we are human and he is human, we are connected in our humanity. That is the actual thing that Jesus took to heaven so that we have um, uh, been reconnected to God. So we have been reconnected to, to God. Uh, and because of that, um, we are in some sense in heaven with Jesus. Paul tells us in um, the letter to the Ephesians, he says, God raised us up. God did not simply raise Jesus. God raised all of humanity up in Jesus and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. So God raised us up as well. We've, we've got a foot in the door, so to speak. We've already got, you know, we're, we're partly there. So if you have any concerns, am I going to heaven when I die or whatever your concerns may be, you know, remember, you're already partly there. You're seated in heaven with Christ. God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. But, but, um, the, uh, the, the idea there is, is we, we, um, because we have been, uh, seated in, in heaven, we have access to thing, the things that are heavenly. And Paul, uh, in a different letter, Paul says, therefore, 
if you are raised with Christ, and he's said that, that you have been, if you have been raised with Christ, look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's uh, right side. Think about the things above and not the things on earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So Paul says that's our situation. He says that there's a different way of being that you have access to because you have been reconnected to God. That you have you have the the, the kind of attributes that I think many of us uh, aspire to. Things like um, uh, uh, compassion and, and humility and kindness. Uh, Paul Paul uh, provides a list there of, of some of the things that we have access to. The the way of being of those who are seated with Christ. And he gives a specific example um, that maybe um, is helpful. Uh, Paul, Paul um, in, in the letter, if, if we were to look at the letter in some detail, he's talking about curbing your appetites. He says, he says, we all have different appetites, and some of them we're not pleased with. And maybe we overeat, maybe we drink too much, maybe we've got some kind of a problem with substances or whatever it is, that we have different appetites. So he says, there's two ways of dealing with those. That, that one of them is by strenuous effort, by, you know, gritting your teeth and white knuckling and, and, you know, I can, I can get through this somehow, that I can do, I can be the person I want to be by strenuous effort. We can, you know, set up rules. I've got boundaries. You know, I've, you know, don't don't look, don't touch, don't taste. Paul talks about that. That's the earthly way of doing things. But he says there's a better way because we have been seated in heaven with Christ. We can look for the things that are above because because that part of us has died and we are with Christ in God, and so we can have God's um, power flowing through us um, to to deal with that. And, and in particular. God can satisfy our longing with something better. So, you know, I want that donut, right? Well, well, um, maybe, maybe God has something better to offer me than a donut. So I should look for that, that, that Jesus has reconnected me to God. And because of that, God may have something much better to satisfy me with. So, so the first thing is that God can satisfy our appetites. That's what Paul's talking about in the letter to the Colossians. And if there is an appetite you struggle with, let me encourage you to read the letter to the Colossians. It's very short. Um, you can get through it very easily. Um, so that's the first way. Jesus has opened up the way to heaven. Jesus has reconnected us to God. The second, the second thing Jesus does in his ascension is he advocates for us. Jesus advocates on our behalf in heaven. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who is going to convict them? Right? You know, who brings the charge? Nobody's bringing the charge. The the people who are involved in this uh, uh, hypothetical proceeding are are on our side already. God's already acqu- acquitted us, and Jesus, He says, uh, Jesus who died, who is raised, and who is also at uh, God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. He says. He says the. <laughs> That in this uh, hypothetical courtroom, everything is already arguing for us. God, uh, God the Father and God the Son are already on our side advocating for us. And He says, in particular, Jesus is a great advocate. You know, the 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 best lawyer you could ever hire. He's he's going to make sure you get acquitted. If anyone possibly could, Jesus can. Uh, and and if there's uh, if there's a sentence, be, it will be as lenient as an argue as an argue as a as a advocate could argue for he says he says everything is is the the deck is stacked in your favor so jesus is advocating for us but more than that if you think about an advocate right we don't just go to court as defendants sometimes you go to court as plaintiffs 
right? Because because we're owed something. And uh, the idea here is that Jesus is is sitting at God's right side and he is saying, "Hey, remember your promises." You know, you know, your promise to to uh, provide comfort in the midst of affliction or to protect people. Uh, I, I was reading something that said that God makes over a thousand uh, promises in the the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, and I confess I haven't counted them, and I certainly don't remember what they are. If I was sitting there next to God, I could not remind him of all of his promises because he's made so many. But Jesus does uh, does remember them and does remind God of those promises. He's a great advocate in the sense that he's reminding God of God's promises to us. So, he has made these promises. And one of the promises, uh, you know, I think the the church has a, there's a stereotype that it's pie in the sky by and by, that the only promise of God that matters is eternal security. And remember, there's a thousand of them. So, so um, uh, there's more to it than that. There's all kinds of promises that God makes, but it does include eternal security. Jesus says, that um, when when we die, we go to paradise to be with him until he returns at the end of this age uh, when we are all raised, uh, the dead in Christ are raised. And, and we'll talk more about that next week. But um, Jesus has already advocated for that. We don't have to trust what Paul says here, that that he will advocate for it when we die or, or whatever. He says, Paul, he reminds us that, that he has already done this. In the letter to uh, John, uh, in John's biography of Jesus, we hear Jesus praying. He says, Father, I want those whom you gave me to be with me where I am. So right now in heaven and then when he returns in glory to be with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Then they can see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So so uh, Jesus is advocating uh, for God to... to um, be merciful, to be lenient, but also to keep his promises. So Jesus is this advocate for us um, at the right hand of God. And lastly, or the the last one I want to talk about today, I, I have no idea how many of these you could come up with, but but I found three. So the last one I want to talk about today is that in, Je- in his ascension, Jesus pours out gifts on us. And Paul tells us in the letter to the um, Ephesians, he says, God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people. Now, uh, what Paul is referring to there is, is common practice in the first century. If you imagine, you know, a battle between, you know, people wearing togas, right? So, so there they are, they're having their battle. One side wins, the other side loses. So what does the winner do, right? He says, everybody lay down your swords. Okay, everybody on the other side, lay down your swords, and we might spare some of you. So that's what that's what he would do as a, as a general. He would tell the the losers that I've won, lay down your swords, and then he would he would recapture the the prisoners, any prisoners that the enemy had taken already. He would recapture those, and then he'd say, okay, now you all pick up those swords that they just set down because you're prisoners you didn't have swords now you can have them he basically distributes the the spoils whatever whatever loot there is after the battle the the first century general would would hand it out to his followers okay you still need a shield here's a shield right that would be the idea you know there's you know <laughs> they were looting and you know there's boxes of treasury we see so whatever it was he would he would distribute that and and Paul is drawing on that metaphor he's saying in the same way when Christ won his victory, he gave gifts to his people. So what are those? Well, it's everything the world takes from us. That everything that we lose as a prisoner to sin, 
you know, our, our life, our joy, our peace, our relationships, ultimately our life, that all the things we give up in this world, everything that the world takes from us, Jesus returns to us. And more besides, that he gives gifts to his people. So the first thing is that Jesus gives gifts to his people. But the preeminent gift, the most important gift that Jesus gives is the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, I assure you, it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Paul says, when I get to heaven, one of God's promises, we heard that in the, in the passage from um, the Ascension. Uh, he says, he says, wait for the promise of the Father. He says, wait for what the prom- Father had promised. And he says, he says, you will be, uh, you will be uh, clothed with power. So, so that's what he's saying is that, is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have power. So what, what does that mean that the Holy Spirit comes upon us? That the indwelling Holy Spirit gives gifts of his own. That Jesus gives us his, his gifts as, as, uh, the, the ruling king, the, the, the victorious general. But the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Um, and they, they include all kinds of things. There's chapters in the Bible that deal with spiritual gifts. And maybe some of you have experienced spiritual gifts or you know people who have, uh, the, the spiritual gifts like prophecy and healing and, uh, the gift of tongues, things like that. Um, but whether or not you've ever experienced that or encountered that with somebody else, um, the Spirit, by, by virtue of simply dwelling in you, bears fruit in you. And so, so what are, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Um, I'm going to get about halfway through because there's a lot. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and then three more. And, uh, they are, let me see, they are, uh, faith, uh, generous, uh, faith, um, gentleness, and self-control. So, uh, the fruit of the spirit, and and the idea there is these are not these are not gifts. Like if you're if you have the gift of healing, you just heal, right? But the idea of the fruit by simply living in us, the 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 spirit causes this fruit to grow in us, to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to be generous, faithful. These things people will look at us and say, you know, you've changed. Uh, it's nothing I put my finger on, but are you a little different than you used to be? And if the Spirit is living in us, that is something that happens. We change. We, we, the, the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. So, so these are, uh, some of the ways, these are the ways that I was able to, uh, come up with that the, um, that the, the doctrine of the, uh, ascension is important. The idea that Jesus is still a human. He is still sitting in heaven. He is advocating at God's right hand for us. So I hope that I hope that um, that you already knew this that um, that somehow you had already figured this out um, that you didn't have to go ten years uh, without without knowing it but uh, if not I'm glad I could share it with you because it was an important it was an important thing for me to understand and uh, as we can see it's important for every Christian to appreciate because these are all the things that we have because of Jesus's ascension let's pray. God, none of us can imagine what it was that Jesus surrendered to become one of us. And for us to to truly understand what it means that he is still one of us. It's beyond our capacity to understand, Lord. But 
we appreciate what we do understand of it. And we look forward to receiving the benefits that he provides. We ask you, Lord, to keep us faithful until he comes again. Amen.